the world is moving rapidly. My name is Dr. Gigi Johnson with UCLA's Herb Alpert School of Music, and we've been running this Innovating Music podcast for four years. We are privileged to have worked with Kate Becker this week on the 18th to run an event to bring together people listening to what it's like to be on the front lines with music in King County, Washington, in Seattle area, to take a look at what's happening with the transformation of the live music scene. Please enjoy this podcast. You can also find it on YouTube with the slides that are referenced. And please, um, you can find Kate on the Facebook group, King County Creative. You can find Music Policy Forum, which is working to gather data on what's happening in the music industry at musicpolicyforum.org. You can find us on innovatingmusic.org, where we are now exploring deeply how we are all now innovating music. Yeah, I never thought I'd find myself working on the front lines of a public health crisis, but that is indeed what I am doing these days. I came to work for King County Executive and King County, King County Executive Dow Constantine and all of King County close to a year ago. I am on the executive's team and um, Ground Zero is our building. Public health is in our building. The King County Executive oversees our public health department. So it has been really a wild ride from the get-go. Incredibly, let's see, it was two weeks and two days ago that some of you who are on the call even, I think, were here in Seattle as we wrapped up a nightlife conference. And we knew that we were all going to go into COVID-19 emergency mode. Amazingly, the county executive showed up to wrap up that conference. He did about 10 minutes and ran out the door to go handle COVID-19 crisis. But ever since then, we've all been full on 18 hour days doing everything we can to, to avert the crisis that is at hand. And I'm sorry to tell you, it's either with you or it's coming your way. There is just no way to avoid it. Um, to this moment, there is a lot that remains unknown about COVID-19, the novel cor coronavirus. So much is still being researched and the medical and scientific fields are scrambling to figure out how exactly it's being transmitted so rapidly between people. They know some things, which we'll go into a bit in the slide deck. Um, certainly they know that um, the little moisture particles, it's called aerosol, that comes out of your mouth, they know it gets transmitted that way. They know it's a pretty hardy virus that seems to have a good shelf life living on objects, which makes it particularly dangerous, of course. Um, but they're not quite sure still how some people who seem should not have had exposure have indeed contracted COVID-19. So all that work is underway while simultaneously people are getting sick, uh, quarantines are being set up, uh, tests are desperately needed in many areas, uh, personal protective equipment is in short supply in some places, so it is a true hum humanitarian crisis that we are in right away. So fast, unbelievably. Um, 
so my usual role is as the creative economy strategist for King County, working with the creative sector to keep them employed, to keep their businesses help, healthy, to do whatever government can do to help support keeping those sectors thriving in our region. Um, we are very much centered in equity and also in film and music production. The, the, we just started this initiative nearly a year ago, and so that's where we're, we've started. Now we are very immersed in public health as it relates to those sectors. So in addition to the creative sector, I was asked to take on um, two-way public health communication with all events over 50. Each of my colleagues on the executives team have a division that they are focused on. And this is mine, the creative sector and all events over 50. You would not believe how many events over 50 people there are in a region of 2.3 million people. Holy moly, and I know we're not even reaching all of them. So we're nowhere close to reaching all of the people that fall in that division, but we are doing our damnedest. Um, fortunately, last week I was able to bring on a few people to help me with communication, so we're getting better at it every day. But it is a vast array of people who need help in a great hurry. People are losing their jobs, people are closing their businesses, they're closing their nonprofit organizations. Um, so all of that has happened in the last two weeks and two days. So wildlife it is. Um, I'm gonna move into the slideshow here and I'll just show you like a quick snapshot of what happened in the music industry here. Gigi, can you take us to the next slide, please? Oh, there it is, okay. So um, first the musicians lost their gigs, heard about it right away. Then the music teachers got laid off and the festivals began to cancel, the shows began to cancel, and the panic began to rise amongst everyone from individual musicians who let me know early on, we're not making rent on April 1st, to clubs with mortgages, as the clubs had to decide if they could find any level of staying open or if they had to close right away. There is a sequential um, list of steps that you go through in a situation like this that public health put out and we were down towards the bottom of the list. We will get to that slide in a few minutes. But um, so things closing in waves, the restrictions coming in waves, our governor, our county executive, our mayor, our public health directors, all having to hold press conferences each time there was a new level of restriction coming. So we are still in the phase of dealing with public health crisis, but simultaneously we're dealing with mitigation and we're dealing with how are we gonna recover from this? But at the moment, we're not sure how deep and how long this, this public health crisis will go. So Gigi, can you take us to the next slide? Thank you. Um, okay, so this is just my role. I've already covered that. I think we should pop right on to the next slide. So here is uh, COVID-19-101. It transmits easily. As I said, not entirely sure exactly how it's transmitting, but we do know that that aerosol, those droplets are definitely part of it. So what can you do to keep yourself safe? Washing your hands incessantly, 
my hands look like I never had a manicure in my life these days because I am washing them all the time. Um, social distancing, staying six feet from people, that's a very hard thing to do. Thinking about how can you keep yourself safe so that you can help others, that has been said to me so many times and I've shared that with so many people. It seems a little, I don't know, self-centered in the moment and yet it is essential that the people who can help others do their very best to keep themselves well. Public health says that at some point soon we will all either know or be someone with COVID-19. It is spreading rapidly now in this region. Um, so the symptoms to look out for are fever, cough, and shortness of breath. Um, the fever seems to be a key indicator of COVID. Next slide, please, Gigi. All right. <clears throat> So when you are reaching out to people, it is um, really important to think about how can you get the word to a lot of people fast without having to do individual one-on-one -on -one communications. Um, having a strong network and being really ready to go with getting that information out to people. There are lots of things I know now that I did not know two weeks ago, including how, um, who are our liaisons who can transmit our information for us? That we're gonna get a wild amount of email that is absolutely unmanageable, even if you give it your all every day, every minute, there is more need than, than one person or one division or one small group of people can handle. So figuring out who are your allies early, how can they get information out to those sectors? Like who can get information out to the film industry and who can get it out to the nightlife sector and who can get it out to the arts and culture nonprofits and who can get it out to the event producers with events over 50. Um, events over 50, as you see on this slide here, include everything from music venues to arts and culture and science organizations and event and festival producers, nightlife, film, music industry, I mean, all those folks have events over 50. There are other places, certainly schools, homeless shelters, um, restaurants with events over 50. This is just where I was focused and where my directive is. There are other people handling those sections, thank goodness. Um, so other things, uh, make sure your email lists are in order, your communications channels can be activated easily, get Zoom savvy or Skype savvy or whatever you need to be able to communicate from a distance and pull some people in to help you as quickly as you can and try to keep them on board with the public health messaging. Because there's so many things that have to happen at once people's businesses that they've spent their life building are closing. Nonprofits that um, have worked ruthless hours to get to where they are, everything just falling apart right in front of their eyes. I mean, the need is gigantic and it's coming really fast. So having some people with you who um, can stay on board with that public health message, which it has become priority one, is help to keep the people safe right now because we cannot overrun our medical system. Our medical capacity is limited across the country, across the nation, or across North America, across the world. Everybody has a limited medical capacity. And once you exceed it, it turns into a nightmare situation. So here our leaders have been desperately trying 
to get the message out in the way that we are managing the number of people who are getting sick and needing medical treatment to match our capability to treat them while simultaneously building up for an additional amount of people needing medical treatment. While simultaneously, my colleagues are trying to figure out, we have a giant homeless population in Seattle. We can't have COVID-19 break out amongst people who already live on the edges. And yet for years, we've been unable to figure out how to get them housed properly. And on a good night, they might sleep on a mat on a floor six inches away from the next human. But today we need to figure out how to get them six feet apart with great sanitation. Those are the kinds of issues our leaders are trying to solve right now. Um, so I am trying to keep some parameters around the vast swath of people that my team and I are communicating with. And I would advise you to do the same. It can be really a swirl that wants to suck you in. I jumped on a call the other day with a lot of social service nonprofits, some of whom I personally support, care deeply about, know they provide critical services, and thought I will never be able to provide them with the help that they need. I'm not on top of providing adequate levels of help to the people who are calling me right now. So somehow you have to figure out where can you be most useful, most impactful, and please be bold, step up to this public health plate if you are invited to the table or if you go knocking on the door to get a seat at the table, everybody's gonna need you. And those public health people become the people who really have the most information about what is happening daily. What do the test results look like? Are we getting enough tests? What is our medical capacity? Where are the people most in need? Are we going to get food and supplies and critical services to them? I mean, it is a complicated web that is hard to really fathom. Every day I learn things that I didn't know in our social fabric needed attention right now. But you have to figure out where you're gonna focus, who you're gonna focus with, and how you're going to communicate in ways that lots of information gets to people readily. Next slide, please, Gigi. All right. So good public health communications practices, um, so not, virtually none of which I knew two and a half weeks ago. Um, establish your public health contacts early. How are you gonna reach them? Where are you going to point people? Who's that person you can call when someone is calling and they think they have an outbreak in a major sort of clump of humanity where there are a lot of humans and you need public health advice beyond what you may have been apprised of in that day's standing meeting. Just know how to reach your public health officials. Get knowledgeable about the risks so that you can adequately talk to people about them. Share the truth with people about what's happening. This is so important. We are fortunate in Washington to have trustworthy leaders, to have noble, honest, gonna give it everything they've got to help this state, this region, this city. And we are fortunate that way. There are other places in government where people are not honest and it is damaging. It damages the public trust. So then it damages the leader's ability to lead. So 
sticking to the truth and letting the people know what's really happening, that is what public health advises. Everyone has to make decisions that are critical and that truth inspires confidence in the leadership and it has to be two-way communication when you're doing this. When you open those communication channels, it's coming right back at you, right? But that is what you want. You want to find out how are those sectors doing? What is their most pressing need? Um, so that all things are being considered as our leaders are trying to navigate through these very, very stormy waters. Um, pandemic preparation begins with personal preparation. You don't want to be scrambling in the critical moment when all the toilet paper is sold out and there's no hand sanitizer and no Lysol wipes. You want to be ahead of that. And one thing I would suggest to you is think about putting your shopping list together so that you go to the store one time. You don't have to hoard, but you should be ready to um, settle in for two weeks in case that time comes, which it almost undoubtedly will come in your communities, to, that you have to hunker down at home with the people you live with, maybe for as much as two weeks. So you should have your medicine, your pet food, the critical things that you need in your home so that you're ready to do that. It's hard to do that when there's crisis all around you, but you really don't want to be scrambling around store to store trying to find toilet paper or something. You are creating great risk to yourself at that point by going into public spaces at the moment that everyone's in a panic. And then simultaneously hustle. There is no time to waste here. Every minute counts. Um, the more people you can get focused on moving the information forward to the people who then can convey to their people what's going on. I mean, there just is no time to waste. What slide are we on now? Let me see. Uh, let's go to the next one, Gigi. Public Health Hotline. This has been an invaluable resource here. Hopefully all your communities will have one. There are many questions that you may get that you don't know the answer to. Um, it is important not to give out bad information and to point people to the public health hotline, which hopefully every single one of you will have in your communities. Um, they can connect people who are calling to clinical resources. They are frontline in helping to manage that medical capacity because without enough tests and with limited medical capacity, people who are healthy, people who are young, people who are young and healthy may not get a test because the remedy for COVID in a healthy person is go home and take care of yourself and don't expose yourself to others for two weeks. You're probably going to be okay. If you develop critical lung dysfunction or things like that, it's great to have that hotline number to call and say, hey, maybe I'm not gonna be okay how do I do this? So we have in these last two weeks set up drive-through testing um, where people literally pull up in the car, a medic comes and swabs the inside of their nose and it is that simple. But there's still a limited supply of tests across the country. So calling this public hotline to find out should I get tested or should I stay home, all that helps to manage medical capacity. Next slide please Gigi. All right, so these are the 13 non-pharmaceutical intervention strategies that our public health department put together here. 
We have gone through them progressively. Uh, at eight and nine, we don't have involuntary isolation necessarily of sick people, but we do have, it's the expected standard that if you are not well, that you will find a way to quarantine yourself. Other people, my noble colleagues, have been figuring out how to build quarantines, how to acquire motels, how to have spaces ready for the many people in our community who are not privileged enough to have a home who do not have a space to quarantine themselves. These are all things that have to be figured out in record time. I'm not, due to a shortage of time and wanting to leave questions, uh, Q&A time at the end, I'm not gonna walk through these 13 strategies, but you can see what they are. We are at number 11 now. So, uh, moving on to the next slide. So flattening the curve. You've probably heard that we all have to flatten the curve. Hashtag flatten the curve. It's everywhere. It's all about not exceeding our medical capacity. If you look at this slide and you see about a third of the way from the bottom, the dotted line, that's the medical capacity. If we do nothing and people do not self-isolate, the numbers will spike like that red hump. We have to keep them at the gray hump level. We just have to. Um, what, if you have seen what is happening in Italy, and I'm gonna take you to a very scary slide now. Can you take us to the next one, Gigi? Thank you. King County's numbers are matching where Italy's numbers were 12 days ago. The red is Italy and the escalation of COVID-19 in Italy. The blue is, um, the, actually, I'm sorry, I said it was King County's numbers. Those are the United States numbers. But look at that. We're tracking just like they were. I don't know if you have seen or heard the stories coming out of Italy, but even just mentioning that now gives me chills terrible decisions being made on the front line of hospitals and medical centers everywhere. Um, I don't know how much I should go into it because it's traumatizing. It could be triggering for people on the phone, but just trust me when I tell you that medical professionals have to make decisions they never signed up for. People are dying. A lot of people are dying there's not medical capacity to treat them. That is why we absolutely must flatten the curve. It is the only option. The medical system will never catch up to the need of a virus outbreak like this. We must flatten the curve. Uh, all right, the next slide, Gigi, <clears throat> is uh, where we're at with our public gatherings restrictions right now. We're down to uh, prohibition on gatherings of 50 or more. We still have to-go restaurant service, <clears throat> excuse me, um, but we no longer have dine-in restaurants. Uh, two days ago, the governor and the public health director and the county executive all issued their directives and took us down to the most restricted state that we have been in to date to try to prevent the transmission of COVID-19. Let's go to the next slide, Gigi. 
So some things I've learned in the last two weeks that I did not know before then. Strong public health connection is important and a channel to get information to and from them. Definitely two-way uh, communication needed all the time. Assemble a support team that is nimble. Who knows how to build a website? Who knows how to Zoom a conference or create a webinar like this that is being recorded? Who knows how to get information out to those different sectors? Try to figure any of that out as it's coming your way because it's going to hit hard and fast. Move really quickly to document the impact in the different sectors and get some help to do this. Um, people who are on point in these situations are gonna be on instant overload. So trying to figure out, okay, who can document what's happening to our music venue? sector? Who can document what's happening to our big science nonprofits? Who can document what's happening to the film industry right now? Because the people who are coordinating are not going to have the capacity to do that work, which needs to be done carefully, rapidly, but tell your people, you know, save your show flyers for that show that canceled. Don't just delete it. Print it out first so that you have it. In a recovery effort, this kind of documentation is going to be important. Who's not coming into work? Who's getting sick with COVID? All these kinds of tracking, tracking things are important to keep track of. The gig economy especially will struggle to prove their losses. So documentation is so important for them. The most vulnerable people get hurt the fastest and the worst. It is just a sad reality of a situation like this that people who already don't have hot water and soap can't wash their hands every 20 minutes, right? Just issues like that that are so fragile already, they just get walloped with the, something like this. And then keep your focus, if you can, on the communications channels to the people that can get the information out to the most amount of people. Next slide, please, Gigi. You got to be ready to catch that ball and pass it. Connecting people, connecting people, connecting people is probably the most valuable thing I've done for the last two and a half weeks. People, wonderful people, call all the time. Kid, I have a brilliant idea for a fundraiser. Um, terrific. I'm going to connect you with someone who can help you activate that. At first, I was trying to do those things. I don't have the capacity to do those things, but I know someone who can, and they might not be quite as busy as me, so I'm going to pass that ball to them and let go of it and hope for the best. Um, there's very little time for debriefing or collaborating normally. Sometimes I hear myself and I think, man, people must think I'm freaking crazy. I'm just like, blah, 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 blah. and it's just because of that pressure. So um, yeah, it, we're, it, nothing is normal anymore. I'm sorry, it's just not. And there's not one minute to waste as you will find out if you're not already there. Um, your family needs you. Your community needs you, your work needs you. There's all sorts of pressures that are coming every single person's way in this. <clears throat> so there's really not time to waste. And I think we all just have to step up, do our very, very best and give it our all. You know, when I started doing this work, I thought, oh, my friend John Wardle 
who runs the live music office in Australia, had to deal with recovery of the music industry immediately following the fires. I'm going to reach out to John to figure out how he did that, because he got government support for the music industry. But he warned me early on of something that has been so important, which is as people tell you their stories, it's traumatizing. It's real. It will hit you. You have to protect yourself emotionally. I don't even know how I'm doing it right now, but I think that there could be a moment at which I just fall apart. And that is, that is a real risk in this work. And you have to keep yourself distanced in order to keep yourself healthy to help others. It's not easy because <clears throat> I would rather be at the public health table looking those people in the eye to get the daily update, but we no longer do that. I would rather be with my beloved, hardworking, absolutely relentlessly committed colleagues looking them in the eye, in part to say, are you okay? And in part to say, what can I do to help you? And to, in part to keep us all on the same page. That can't happen anymore either. We're all virtually distanced now, um, directed to be at home. We are not even allowed to come into our office right now because of the risk. There are, um, next slide please, Judy. There are resources in development everywhere. These are simply the resources that I am working on, but many, many people across our region have developed resources. It has been so inspiring to see communities step up and really rise to the occasion of helping the people around them, of raising the red flags on the issues that you might not think about. I'm going to cite a couple examples of issues you might not think about. I did a big meeting with about 35 club owners and operators hmm, sometime in the last week, I think about six days ago. Um, time's a little weird now. And it was as we were moving to a, a higher level of restriction. And one of them astutely reminded me, when the clubs close down, the music doesn't stop. Some of us will just take that underground. Now, many of them are not doing that. But depending on what the scene is, that could happen. So somebody should still stay connected to those folks to get information, public health information, so that that community can protect itself as best they can, right? Those kinds of things are going to happen. There's many situations like that where there are people who already, you know, they're not going to a job 40 hours or more a week and they're not reporting to an office. Their life is the life of an artist. It is very different. Their network is very different. Somebody's got to connect with them and get information to them. So these are the ways that we found to be um, effective. We have a website that is under redesign right now and we'll have a whole new wave of resources launching. We have the COVID-19 Handbook for Creatives that launches this week. One of the things we activated right away was a Facebook group. A uh, Facebook group is a little bit different than a Facebook page. You probably all know this. Everyone has to sign up to be in the Facebook group. So there's one step removed from complete ease of use but once they're in it, then they get every post that goes to it. So it has value in that way. You can actually be assured that your information is landing in someone's feed, um, which you can't with a Facebook algorithm on a regular page. And then Music Policy Forum has agreed to 
um, host this webinar and I'm sure we'll be coming forward with other resources and other brilliant ideas as we go forward. And there's just so many people. When we put out this COVID-19 handbook for creatives in the King County region, which should be breaking within the next 24 hours or so, thanks to my brilliant uh, teammates, Andy Fife, Lee Sims, Carolyn Dodge, and Aaron Starkey, we are moving at warp speed to get this information out to people. Um, but there are lots of other resources that we will cite in that handbook and on our website that are not resources we've developed, but are critical resources for people. Last slide, Gigi. Okay, so um, here is where you can send questions. Michael Bracey will catch and vet those questions right now. And then here is some information about where you can reach me normally. Uh, to those of you who have me in, in your texter, you can text me. Email is really overrun. This creative economy email address will get seen by one of my colleagues first who will get all urgent information to me. And with that, I'm just going to thank you for caring enough to join this and trying to get ready to help your own communities. I wish you all the best out there. I will try my best to be available if people have questions. I'm more available late in the evenings on the Pacific, in Pacific daylight time than I am in the daytime. Um, also, you could um, try to reach Michael Bracey and see if he can get something to me if need be. Um, just a lot to manage, but I know you all have giant situations to manage too, and I want to be helpful where I can, um, just really, really inundated with lots of stuff right now. But um, yeah, we, we got to save each other. We got to help each other. It is the only way we cannot rely on the systems that are not prepared to help us. We have to do a piece to help ourselves. Kate, um, thank you uh, on behalf of everybody who is in the community and everybody that you've uh, been such a tremendous resource for, for for so long. And thank you for your honesty and your just willingness to, to bring uh, this forward at, at a moment that is obviously incredibly painful for you and for your community. Uh, we have a couple of great questions coming in. Again, we'd encourage you to email at musicpolicyforum at gmail.com if you have a specific question and we'll try to get through a couple. Um, we'll start with a, actually a great question uh, from Andrew Jocelyn, who uh, asks, once a gig musician, small business producer, or recording studio owner has tracked their losses for March and April and beyond, what do we do with that info? Who is compiling all this data? Um, and Kate, you can take a shot at that. I'll, I, I've got a shot at that as well, but do, why don't you go first? Thank you, Andrew, for the question. There's multiple people doing this. So hold on to your data um, because we're, the truth of the matter is at the big frame picture, we're trying to get organized around this. Um, the Office of Economic Development in Seattle just put out a survey that will be one of the main um, aggregators of that data. But you also wanna hold on to your own information because as these opportunities open up, as recovery funds and relief funds come forward, that's where you're gonna be able to prove 
your work. That's um, unemployment rules loosening out here, thanks to the governor and the state officials making it easier to get unemployment support here. I understand they are inundated there. It might not be exactly easy, but the rules have been eased and the requirements eased because we are in a state of emergency. So there are multiple things, but there's not one precise place that you should send it right now. Um, but you do definitely want to hold on to it and have it at the ready for when the relief funds come. You want to be in the first wave. You don't want to be putting your information together as everybody's rushing into that fund, that kind of thing. It's important to have it together. Um, uh, our, some of our arts organizations are still compiling their data now. Some of them were early on it. Some of them had them at the ready. But for gig economy workers, it's much harder. So. Um, yeah, that was a really long-winded answer. Sorry. It's a very good answer. And I would just add to that that I think part of what we're seeing in the national conversation in obviously Kate and King County in that region is dealing with you know, the reality of the public health crisis at the same time that they're starting to think about the economic impact. And a lot of us in the rest of the country are hoping to not be in the public health crisis at the level Seattle is. So there's a little bit more bandwidth to think about what do these structures look like. And a couple of ideas that are emerging and I think are coming together. First, it's all about best practices. And, and, and one of that is creating some guidelines to help musicians and music workers understand what does it mean to track those expenses or those lost income and, and some, you know, hopefully some guidelines and recommendations for how people can do that work because that may not come naturally to a lot of folks in our community. The second is a lot of conversations are happening at a city and regional level about best practices for how funds could be administered and looking at some uh, communities that unfortunately because of prior disruptions have had to you know, come up with similar support for their creatives, what could be applied from those past lessons. And then the third, which is a macro point, and this is not a political meeting or conversation, but we can anticipate that the federal government is likely to invest probably around $800 billion in, in resources over the next year or two to help uh, you know, replace income and, and help support industries that have been impacted by this. And it's just gonna be very important for all of us uh, who care about independent venues and independent businesses and the grassroots elements of the music community that, that those voices are honored in that conversation. And again, this is a very fast moving, um, crisis and a very fast-moving set of developments that frankly I don't think anyone could have fully anticipated four weeks ago and, and so this is going to be developing you know throughout the year but organizations like Music Policy Forum and many others are really thinking about how do we what does that look like and what become those conversations that can be taken into the public sector about the need to have resources for these very fragile ecosystems. Uh, we have time for one or two more questions. Um, a good question that has, has come in is Kate, would you advise uh, a blanket suspension of underground music performances um, as uh, formal venues close and people are moving to more informal, um, more informal performance spaces and uh, house concerts? And uh, as an adjunct to that, could you speak to some of your strategies in King County for providing uh, resources and home sanitation kits and other things? Uh, to recognize that people are probably going to do this anyway uh, off the grid and they've got to be as safe as possible. Can you speak to those two questions, please? Sure. Um, you could put a blanket ban on underground events, but 
their underground events, right? So they weren't planning to follow your rules necessarily. So I think it is important that um, find a person who has relationship there. If you don't at least have one there yourself, someone who is trusted by that community to spread the word. I've seen that happen many times in multiple different arenas in these last couple of weeks where friends have reached out or colleagues have reached out to say, hey, you know, this sector of people is not hearing that public health message at all. Okay, that's a red flag, we need to get in there. But with underground um, venues, thank you for mentioning it, Michael. Um, one thing I wish we had done was early get them gloves, hand sanitizer, um, masks, uh, things, uh, social distancing signage, um, that kind of thing, because because the invincibility of youth is a beautiful thing. And um, people may feel like, this isn't gonna happen to me. Oh, it's spreading throughout our community and you are a threat to the health of the community if you don't take this seriously. But you have to find a way to convey that message that doesn't sound as preachy as I just did and can be heard by the community that you're trying to resonate with. That is really key. Find your messenger, if it's not you, Find your messenger who's trusted, who can get in there to say, all right, so we're gonna do this show, but we're not supposed to be doing this show for these reasons, and this is serious business, everyone. We have to figure out, should we really be doing the show? Should we stream it? Should we all sit six feet apart from each other? Should we take it outside where it's slightly safer to be gathered than it is inside? Those kinds of things, but it's gotta be someone who can bet all that with the community in a way that is trusted. Um, that's my best advice. And Kate, I have a question or something I'd, I'd like you to speak to. Uh, and I'm going to try to articulate this as a question and not a statement pretending to be a question. But one of the sort of sad ironies of what is happening with the music community shutdown, of course, is that music is where we come together as community. And it's where we find solace and healing and empathy and for that to be taken out of our communities at a time where we really need that, um, just from a, a humanity standpoint, is, is especially challenging. And, and in the States, one of the, the dynamics that we've had over the last 15 or 20 years is the complete loss of local commercial radio stations that used to kind of fill that void. And so now public radio really fills that in, in, a, in, a, in a much more significant way for music communities. Could you speak briefly to the role that KEXP is playing in the Seattle community? and ways that some of the things that they're doing in terms of public education and creating platforms for local artists and other work that they're trying to do, both as a focal point for, again, empathy and for um, togetherness on the artistic and cultural side, and also the pragmatic side of how do we, they serve as advocates and resources for uh, venues and uh, musicians, how that dynamic is playing from your perspective and what that lesson might be for other cities that may be facing similar situations in the next month or two? True confession. While KEXP has been at the table, Tom Morrow was one, the executive director or CEO of KEXP was one of the very first people to call me to say, how do we connect? What can we do? How can we keep getting messaging out to the people? Um, can we, um, you know, we may need to have DJs move in here and hunker down. We have to stay on the air. We want to be helpful. And I've been involved with Tom and his team on all of that. 
I can't tell you exactly what KEXP is doing because I have no time to listen to the radio. Every right. moment, every moment, everywhere is spent on a computer or a phone these days. So um, I think Tom might actually be on this webinar. I don't know, but um, in general, getting I know that they are of course amplifying the public health message providing comfort with their trusted DJs to the music community these are things they do in all moments of strife here um, so I know they're amplifying them now um, they may be activating some streaming I know they shut down the live room they tried to keep their gathering space open as long as possible but ultimately they crossed the line where they thought all right it is time to shut it down for the safety of the community um, so, but getting streaming services going is great. Some people have really stepped up here to provide us resources, to provide free streaming platforms, to teach 101 classes and how you do this. Um, Artist Home yesterday did a big thing with musicians where they could um, get the um, get people's music out to people and people could simultaneously contribute to that musician. Um, but KEXP is, I am sure, the center of educating our music community about what's happening right now and trying to provide comfort and, and good advice along the way. But I don't know what they're doing with this streaming. Um, I'm sorry, Michael. And Tom no. is on, Tom is off off mute and is on the line. Um, Tom, would you like to share something? Well, first of all, thanks, Michael and, and Kate, for putting this uh, together. Super helpful. And the notion of just remaining in connection with each other is, is just key. A couple of things. One is I think uh, local public radio uh, stations in particular can play kind of a dual role. One is, as Michael, you were saying so eloquently, I think it's important to make sure that music can play a role in people's lives during this, uh, during this crisis. Um, and I don't think I need to explain why, but it is gonna take uh, effort and we're doing everything we can to make sure that we stay on the air and um, investing in technology and uh, contingency planning for us to, uh, to keep, that, uh, uh, keep our, our service online and on air. Uh, as a matter of fact, we're also federally responsible for staying on the air because we're uh, mandated by, by uh, government to do so. We have an EAS system that we have to maintain, uh, emergency alert system um, uh, as, as well. The second thing I would uh, say we're doing is we're naturally a hub where we're getting lots and lots of inquiries, suggestions, ideas, uh, access to resources, etc. And our team, uh, now that they're dispersed out throughout the city, uh, I'm in a ghost town here at KXP right now, but our team has never worked harder, uh, are going through all of those requests and ideas and getting them funneled into what we're uh, sharing on the air. Um, and we did put together a resource guide. You can go to kxp.org. Uh, you can find it there. Uh, there's some advice we're giving to uh, musicians. A lot of it Kate has already talked about. I'm not going to, to, to uh, get into that. The last thing I will say is to the extent you and your organization can play an advocacy role for how we can sustain our music ecosystem, you know, in our community and in, in your community, that's also very uh, important. Uh, we've been fortunate in King County to have a Kate Becker um, in place to help uh, uh, manage that advocacy and that uh, communication. Um, 
but as you find funding opportunities for musicians, as you find uh, opportunities to uh, address policy changes, unemployment insurance, things like that, then, then do um, uh, vocalize in efficient ways. <laughs> we try not to clog the, the channels of uh, communication that have been opened up here, but it is important to, uh, to apply your organization's um, uh, influence in the area of advocating for, for musicians. Uh, but anyway, thanks again for uh, this forum. And uh, if folks want to get in touch with with me, always happy to share what we're learning, what we're how we're making mistakes, uh, etc. Tom at kexp.org. Uh, and hang in there, guys. So if we were in a live event, I would say let's give a round of applause to our speakers. But I would like to instead leave the screen up. And uh, I would like to thank both Kate Becker, who's done a yeoman's job of this, considering she's possibly gotten very little sleep. And this has been a uh, personally uh, high growth, <laughs> high energy uh, user experience. And I'm so glad that you could share this with us today. Thanks for Michael Bracey for kicking this off with really communications yesterday to have this continue from last week. Please feel free to, to take the information off the screen. I will leave that up and stay tuned for further information. And thank you for being there for your own communities. Michael, Kate, anything last to say? Thank you, Gigi, for making this all possible and um, putting it together. And um, good luck, everyone out there. I, good luck. Yeah. Take thank you, Kate. Thanks, Gigi. Thanks, everybody. Well, that's this week's episode of Innovating Music. We are going to continue on these themes of how to live, create, and be in the environments of COVID-19 around the world and in your local community. We're going to be co-hosting with quite a few other organizations an event on April 17th called Amplify Music. You can find information at amplifymusic.org. It is an event that is going to be looking at how we can learn from each other across organizations and between organizations and how live local music and live local communities are changing and what's being done that can be adopted by other communities in this intriguing and disruptive era. Please let us know if there's anything else you would like to work with us on at innovatingmusic.org. And we look forward to being with you on our next episode of Innovating Music. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You have found one of our adventures now in the Marimel Podcast Network. You can find our shows everywhere that you listen to podcasts. We've got Amplify Music Conversations from the Amplify Music Conferences during the pandemic, Creative Innovators, and now Innovating Music. If you're interested in following up with us in any of these shows, please reach out on our websites, and you can find those in the show notes.